0: Hi, Ron here, and welcome. We love that you've come to join us here and listen to a lot of our episodes. Please help us continue with this by supporting us through either joining the Barack Centre at thebarackcenter.com or joining us at the Fringe Church at thefringechurch.com and sharing and donating through those sources. And once again, thank you for joining us today. I said, what do you want on the screen this morning? I said, I want all your mind and make an out he said, oh, what's that two Bloody Marys in the Meganoiddo, is it? <laughs> Far beneath you, Phil? <laughs> but a good comment all the same. I'll explain that in a moment. Uh, let's pray. God, our Father, thank you that we are here. Thank you, God, that you are here. Father, I want to ask now that, as we've just been reaching out to you in worship, that you would reach out to us, that you would give us really some clear direction, some encouragement and some strength to walk forward and to, to really yes, see more of your kingdom coming in our midst. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now can you all hear me alright? Yeah. It's a good thing. Alright. So again for the third time for those who have been here each week, Luke chapter 10. A religious leader comes to Jesus and uh, and basically says, What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? and uh, we'll read it first and then talk about it a bit the expert in the law stood up to test Jesus teacher he said what do I have to do to inherit eternal life Jesus says well what do you reckon how do you read it next he said well I'd sum it up like this love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength with all your mind love your neighbour as yourself Jesus says cool go for it and that's, that's the story Now, here's the thing. Jesus then goes on to drop the parable of the Good Samaritan on this guy. And we always think that those parables are fantastic and earth-shatteringly brilliant and and we have built Western civilization on them. Please remember, Jesus was not building Western civilization. He was answering a bloke who really had some self-righteousness issues and who was doing his religion wrong. Jesus basically said, I need you to do something practical about all that loving the Lord your God stuff and loving your neighbour. Buddy, if you want to kick this into gear, you want to stop spinning in neutral, you need to do something really practical. i ask you a question. You know, there were bikes walking down to the road and so on and on and, put, and pulled this amazing parable out. At its first pass, that wasn't something to be preached about this morning. That was telling a guy who was stuck up and self-righteous, mate, Get practical about this, will you? So, that's what we've been working on. We've just been through that list that Jesus approved. We've done soul. Um, we've done mind. Today we're going to have a crack at... Oh, sorry, we've done a heart. and going to have a crack at mind. If you hear me well this morning, it'll be a little bit challenging. All right? So... If you don't want to be challenged to a real lot, go get a cup of coffee now, that'd be good, and we'd all stay friends, all right? But I'm going to encourage you to step a little out of the, the comfort zone of much contemporary Christianity today. And look, again, the reason for all of this is that so many of you are stepping out. In fact, one of the things that sparked this series was one of our people who came and said, all this growing in God stuff is all right, but it's confusing what do you mean it's like everything I know about life God church they actually said how my pastor should act is wrong I said, great that sounds like growth that sounds like you get that I mean remember we keep saying God is endlessly knowable the problem with God isn't that we can't know him the problem is there's just so flippin much to know did I just say flippin much in church yeah. anyway it is so big you've got eternity and it's not long enough right in fact eternity is another thing we should preach about it's not in the Bible uh, it's called the ages to come there's this age there's an age to come guess what another one after that another one it's sort of exciting it's like God keeps changing things up and it's really nice in all of that God will still be so far beyond us so far above us this is the God we serve so so yeah, if you're not a little bit confused and a little bit discombobulated, my suggestion is you haven't met God. And when people tell you, oh, I'll come to Jesus and he'll answer all your questions, I'm thinking, I must have got this wrong somewhere back there. i got more questions now I'm a Christian than I ever had before. Because if you notice this, every question you ask God, he flips it back on you, just like this boy. You know, Jesus flips it on him. So we go to God and say, why is there so much suffering in the world? And God says, yeah, I've been asking people that for thousands of years now. There's very few people got their hand up to do anything about it. And he turns it on us. Why is my life so hard? Well, if you wanted to, we could go back over there. No, that's all right, God. You know? And he just does. I've got more questions now than I ever had. Now, for those who've been following me through uh, Romans in the mornings, you'll notice, oh, I went to Thursday this week, I got stuck on a little phrase, <laughs> which is, in Greek. God forbid is how it gets translated which is sort of curious because the word God is not in it, nor is the word forbid. Uh, What it means is sort of whatever amen is, that's the opposite to it. Like this is, no! Absolutely not! Not in your sweet life! Let that never be! Let's not go there! Away with that thought! Perish the thought! That sort of stuff, right? It's an emphatic no! And what I love about the Apostle Paul, in terms of loving God with all our minds, right? Thinking this through. What does Paul do? He takes his thinking out to a point where he's that far from losing the plot, Where he's that far from something that even he, and he's pretty radical, can't tolerate. And he keeps thinking right out to the edge. And he gets to these points, and and the book of Romans, by the way, is um, is the voices in Paul's head. I've got a New Testament professor up the back. Um, There's either a new book in that or I'm going to get a heresy trial. (laughs) Paul is walking up and down, uh, writing, oh, he's not writing. He's just talking this letter through to poor old Tertius. Tertius is sitting there, and Paul is on a roll. He gets into some serious rants. Some of the sentences in Romans are about that long. And he's just walking, and this guy's just trying to get it all down real fast. And and he drops in the middle of a sentence a whole other thought you know. And, and as he's going along and he's just preaching to one person in the room who's trying to make notes and he gets himself so far down a rabbit hole he says, so does that mean this? no, ah, no, pull back from there that can't be right and that's what Meganoido is 14 times it turns up in Paul's writing where he's just pushing down big ideas and he gets to a point he goes oh, too far Okay, that's the limit. Now, always, when Paul gets to a Omega Noido point, he's talking about the nature of God or who can walk with God. Now again, so this feels a little bit dry and academic this morning. needs to be for a little while. I'll, I'll preach good at the end. Um, the whole big thing in the New Testament was we're a Jewish sect. We were all Jews when we got started. Now these Gentiles are starting to find Christ. What's worse, God is pouring his spirit out on these Gentiles. What do we do with that? We thought they were the fuel for the fires of hell and didn't have a share. Turns out they do. What do we do with that? That's the big argument of the New Testament. And it's really, really big news. You've got to get your head around that and and come to some conclusions about that. And so... When Paul gets to thinking about Judaism, now he's a proud rabbi, remember? He's a Pharisee. He was trained by the best. He was on the Sanhedrin. This guy's a big shot. He died a proud Jew, right? And his heartbreak is that the Jewish people just don't get Jesus. His other heartbreak is the Gentiles who are coming in don't seem to get what they have come into. to. And he's just sitting between the two, hanging on to both, not letting go and getting himself torn apart. Right? And he's struggling with this whole idea. And he sort of lands in a place, look, God was revealed through the covenants to Israel. But at the end of the day, Jesus is the final word, and yes, you're all welcome. And no, you don't have to be Jews to know God. Confused? That's, that's where Romans and where Paul lives. And he's battling with this, and he's fighting about it. Who's allowed? Who's welcome? Who can come in here? And that's where he gets to his meganoidos. So don't worry too much about the argument. Just know that he stretches himself out a long way. Now, understand, too, that where he got to, he was a heretic. You know, you've heard the word fatwa, you know, in the Middle East now. A fatwa basically is the imams basically say, that's not on, it's prescribed. Uh, Paul is under one of them. When an imam gets really snotty with you, that fatwa can include, and uh, if anybody tops him, I'll turn a blind eye to that, right? Paul was under that. There were people tracking him to kill him because the big shots had said, whatever this guy's on about is no good. So he had pushed his thinking out to a point where the Jewish people said, you're a heretic, Paul. Where the Christians were going, are you trying to make us all Jews? And he's standing in this confusing ground in the middle trying to work it out because, now this is where the sermon starts, there were people around Paul who needed to be saved. They were walking in darkness. Their lives were a mess. God loved them. Paul knew that. He'd watched the spirit of God getting poured out on them. And he would move heaven and earth to get the God of the Jews into these Gentiles' hearts. And intellectually, ay ay yay it's new ground for everyone. So Paul, loving God with all his mind, is huge news. Does that sort of make sense? <coughs> oh, oh boy. All right. Let me start again. <laughs> all right. Paul, in language design, has to be able to live with paradoxes, with stuff that doesn't make sense. He's got to be able to develop ideas on the go, live with tension. And actually, the way that he describes his ministry in two places is... We capture every thought. We cast down every crowd imagination. So he says, we're going to get a hold of minds. We're going to change minds. And we're going to think this through. So for Paul, to love God with all his mind ultimately costs him his life. Right? The reason he went to Rome was that fatwa had gotten to him. He went to Jerusalem. He realised he was dead. He appealed to Caesar. He goes to Rome. Ultimately, gets beheaded there. So the Romans killed him but the whole thing was set up because of his religious views so we also we want to believe what paul said that's all right this morning what i want to suggest is maybe we should be brave enough to be what paul is paul's an intellectual pioneer paul is a guy who goes out way beyond the bounds why does he go out because people need to know jesus there's life in christ there's power in the spirit of god there's a whole new way of living and everybody needs to know it. And I will bend the traditions I carry to make it work that people can get to that. He's absolutely radical in that. And as I said he wound up a heretic. Paul had a really good grip on where his anchor points were. He knew what he wasn't going to walk away from. So my question to you lot as you start to really get out there because see that's Why are we doing this series? Because you guys are starting to talk to people about Jesus. You're starting to see miracles. You're starting to see the power of God get let loose. That's great. It's wonderful. But when you get out there, I don't know, well, I think we are all realising, a lot of our standard, orthodox, in-house, Christian words are pretty meaningless when you get out there talking to people whose lives are messed up. We, you know, if we use our platitudes, we start to sound like say a little prayer to Jesus, she'll be right. Everybody knows that's not true. And so, we have to do some thinking. We've got to do some how do I take this incredible thing I know about the grace of God and get it into language that doesn't sound like, well, your sins are all forgiven, it's all good, you don't have to do anything more. That's rubbish. Equally, how do I go out and say, You flippin' gotta repent, like really repent. If something doesn't change, you're gonna die without sounding like I'm some sort of religious prat that just wants to beat people up. How do I do that? It's an intellectual exercise. And I've gotta get my theology sorted so that I'm coming from a consistent place. So I have to love God with my mind. Now, this will shock some of you. I rate myself as an extraordinarily conservative Christian. (laughs) <laughs> and you're fired <laughs> I, I do people don't believe that now the reason I rate myself as conservative, I know where my anchor points are I believe in one God the Father, the Almighty Creator of heaven and earth and in Jesus Christ his only Son, my Lord and, and stuff you know? I'm passionate about that, I'll die in a ditch for that stuff but when I'm going to communicate that to someone I've got to do the intellectual hard work to work out, what are you hearing when I say that stuff? Now, we have people in our community now, five or six of them at least, who are the victims of ecclesiastical, sexual, institutional abuse. Now, they're, they're floating around the edge, worshipping with us sometimes, definitely a friend. So I go in and I start talking about, how wonderful is the Christian way you get to be part of our church? And I can't work out why well, i barely get out of there without blood coming out of parts of my body. Well, that doesn't sound like good news to them. That sounds like an invitation to their PTSD and their worst nightmares. So I've got to do the intellectual work. How do I talk about Christian community in a way that actually communicates what it is? And truly, biblically, soundly, really... Invites people to be part of it, and doesn't use all those words that we've used all the time. I actually had somebody tell me the other day that um, we're looking for the mystical body of Christ. Try that one out when you're witnessing to someone. You know what are you looking for in life? I know what you're looking for. You're looking for the mystical body of Christ. Right? Just see how you go. All right? It may not work that well. Right? We've got to do the thinking. How does this work? How does that stuff about creation work? with what we now know of the whole scientific thing and what the popular common mythology, mythology, by the way, is not whether it's true or not, it's just the story that gives us meaning. For most people now, their mythology is that we're an evolutionary, happy, joyful mistake that came from nothing and is going nowhere. No wonder there's a lot of opiate use out there. But that's the popular mythology. Now if you want to come into it, do not think that you can just take your mythology about oh God made everything and drop it and people go, oh great, not going to happen. You're going to have to do the thinking. What do we really believe about creation? Why does it matter? And how do I communicate that to people who it could help? And it's much harder than just taking a little script that you read in a tract somewhere and dropping it on people. This is loving God with all our mind. I get asked all the time, you know, is God the most immoral person among us? For a whole lot of reasons. No, I need to be able to answer that. And they're using Christian doctrine, the way it's been taught by the church and miscommunicated into our culture, to ask me questions like that. And you get them too. Loving God with our mind says we have a responsibility to God, to our friends, to our culture to come up with something that sounds like we belong. Next big concern about the Christian movement, I still think a lot of Christians are living in the 1950s, yeah actually not even the 60s intellectually. The Christian why is the Christian church dropping off numerically? Because it's not playing in the big game anymore. We've locked ourselves in in a worldview that's modern all about, you know, I, mean, I think we still think the space race is cutting edge technology. Seriously. And we've locked in. And it's decades past its use-by date. The rest of the world doesn't even think like that anymore. We still do. No wonder no one's listening to us. We're speaking a different language. Loving God with our mind would make us the children of the 21st century. Loving God with our mind means knowing what's going on. The impact on human identity right now the cyborg thing—I mean, I keep talking about it, but it's incredible. I mean, the interface between people and machinery is massive. You've got have, you've got you got a—you got a heart? What a pacemaker here this morning? Well, guess what? You're already there. You're a cyborg. You're part machine. Sorry, and there's a number of people who are going to complain bitterly to me over morning tea. <laughs> we could form an association of Christian cyborgs. That'd be funny. Um, you know, cochlear implants, all that sort of stuff. It's machinery, but it's part of us too. I still reckon The Matrix was probably the most prophetic thing I saw for a long time, a little while ago. Remember when he wanted to learn how to fly that helicopter? They plugged a USB in the back of his neck, did a download, and about five minutes later, he could fly the helicopter. Why don't we start getting there? And we're working on it, don't you worry. We're working on it. And uh, if if you've got a Facebook account, and you've seen how that thing can read your mind, So, look, this is, it's going to change everything. What's the gospel sound like in that world? I don't know if you've noticed our approach to sexuality may have changed a little in the last 10, 15, 20 years. Just that much. Right? Don't think for a minute that there's a bunch of conservative values about the way the world used to be that, you know, we could get back if we just yelled really loud. It's gone. It's completely gone. The world you live in, doesn't see gender in binary stuff anymore. It sees gender very much on a continuum, and it's a flat continuum. Not good, not bad, not better, not worse, just across. cross. By the way, just can I really can I really hurt your heads? When you read the Bible, there was a continuum too, but it was up and down. Male was good, female was bad, and the continuum ran that way. And that also affects the way you've got to read your Bible when you think about sex. I shouldn't have said that, that's way too much. <laughs> For a quick thought on a Sunday morning but you know if you get into this stuff it does hurt your head and if it doesn't hurt your head as far as I'm concerned we're not loving people adequately because the people we're hanging out with are thinking this stuff and they're thinking in these ways and if I'm right Jesus is still Lord the spirit of God is still being poured out on them and nothing changed in the spirit but everything has changed intellectually I'm going to love God with my mind. I'm going to love those people at all. I'm going to have to catch up. Okay. <coughs> now, that's the rant. I just want to say these things to you. In the world in which we live, if we're going to be any good at mission, if we're actually going to make a difference in people's... And by the way, I'm, I'm yelling and screaming at you, lot because you're a safe target. I actually rate this community by and large as embracing this and doing something about it. So you need to know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be encouraging and give you a little pat on the bottom as we keep moving rather than beating the living daylights out of you. Uh, this is this is the one I would like to deliver to the you know, United Nations, the World Council of Churches, whatever you <laughs> But, you know, it won't happen. But if we're going to love God with all our mind and if you're going to move into real mission, if your little light is going to shine and you're going to touch lives around you, Please resist unconsidered orthodoxies. Just because everybody says it in your little circle doesn't make it right. There are Christians all over the world who take a different view to us and you and the, you know all of the tribes we belong to here. And they think they're orthodox, they think they're as right as you think you are about the stuff you think you're right with. So please, check your orthodoxies all the time. Test them. We, we've got to train this carefully, but test them against the four great tests. Scripture, tradition, what has the church always said about this? Reason, what are we learning around the world and our experience? How does it go down when we talk to people about that? They're the four big tests. Test your orthodoxies. Rest comfortably in the things that actually are the anchor points of your faith. By the way, they're slightly different for all of us. See, I'm not, now you probably realize this if you followed me through Revelation, I'm not a big end times guy. My, my rest is more in, in Calvary and what's in the background than what's coming up, you know? But there are folks here who's an anchor point, just anchored in the hope of what is to come. It's glorious, it's wonderful, and for those guys, that's an anchor point. Well, don't apologise for it. Hang on to it. Right? And be anchored there. One of my uh, great teachers, who was a fantastic teacher and a great man of God, older guy, he said, you know, the older I get, the more I work out who the important teachers were in my life. And he said, you know who the really important teachers were? I was expecting Pannenberg or you know someone. Sarah, we got about five people doing really technical stuff. I'm hearing names in our Bible studies and meetings that I haven't heard for decades. Big names, you know. I thought he'd be naming some of them. He said, no, it's my Sunday school teachers. What? No, you've got a doctorate, you've got this, you've got that. He said, yeah, the most important teachers in my life were my Sunday school teachers. They taught me that I am made by God, that I'm loved by God, that I'll always belong, that I am forgiven, and I am certain of a glorious future. He said, everything else is footnotes. Isn't that amazing? He knew his anchor points. Know yours. Please know yours. And know what is able to blow about. I mean, I think I frighten a lot of people because you know they'll come in with stuff that they think really quite radical. I go, yeah, yeah, could be. Because that's just not for me. That's not an anchor. It's, it's important. It's got to be thought through. Know where your anchor points are. Please know that the greatest truths in your life and in the lives of the people around you are fundamentally not discerned by your mind. They are discerned by your spirit. Okay? People are looking for spiritual stuff from us. We're supposed to be the God people, right? And so, you know, in the 50s, we were worshipping our minds. We were full of how good science was, uh, you know, we, we knew we can control atoms and do amazing things. We were all driven by our minds. The world ain't like that anymore. And we're meant to be the people of the Spirit. So, there is truth that you can die in a ditch for that you can't prove. You know, someone asked me to prove the existence of God. You know, in scientific terms... Well, actually, I can. I think, I, I think I've got an argument that if there wasn't an evolutionary advantage to believing in God, there wouldn't be that much religion around. So I think from an evolutionary perspective, I'm good. <laughs> but can I prove the existence of God? Nah. Prove the resurrection of Jesus. Well, I can point to a whole lot of evidence that, on the balance of probability, says, yeah, probably. But, you know, I wasn't there, I didn't see it. I can't prove any of that. Do I know it's true? Have a go at me and see how passionate I'll get. I know that I know that I know that I know that stuff's true. Why do I know it? Because it lives in my guts. It's my spirit. It's the way the world is. And I have discerned that by an encounter I would rate as with Jesus himself. Spiritual knowledge. And that, frankly, brothers and sisters, is what people need from us. See. None of us in this room, well, maybe one or two exceptions, none of us in this room are smart enough to take on the world in terms of their mind. None of us have the intellectual capacity, the academic research, any of that stuff. Every one of us in this room has the Spirit of God living in us. Right? So if you go out there, you know, thinking you can win arguments to get people to try and do something with Jesus, you are just gone before you even started. But if you go out there loving gentling, healing, gracing, praying, watching as miracles happen. Well you've seen how that works. That rocks and rolls. Okay? So yeah, real life. When intellectual philosophical pursuits are an end in themselves, they breed pride, uh, rigidity, arguments, factions. When Loving God with all our mind leads us to deep thought. It leads to conclusions. It takes us down certain theological schools. But it leaves us in fellowship with everyone else. Because at the end of the day, remember the phrase? Love God with all your mind. What's the big thing in that sentence? What's the big point of that sentence? It is? Love God with all your mind. So I'm I'm, I'm talking to James. Actually, so it's probably not a terrible example. You know, there are things. I'll use Phil because here I actually do have the arguments. So every fortnight we get together and, oh boy, that coffee's hot. <laughs> and we go through all sorts of stuff and challenge each other. What about, what about, what about, what about, what about, what about? Looking in each other's eyes and seeing that same spirit looking back. Falling deeper in love with one another as we pursue God with our minds. Right? And coming come different. Well, actually, not that different, to be honest. But it works out differently for us. I don't know if you've noticed, but I don't say Shabbat Shalom very often. He does. <laughs> you know, it works out differently. But because we share that same spirit, we can be humble with each other. You know, you can have people from different stuff, working and living and loving together. I, I look at the brothers and sisters who disagree with me, and I don't try to work out if I'm right or they're right. You know what my working assumption is? We're both wrong. Who, who, who is the one bloke in the history of the world that could say, I am the truth? Jesus. Where does the spirit of Jesus live? In me? Oh, I got some. Does the spirit of Jesus live in him too? Hate to say it, yes. So we got to look for that, that truth that we know intuitively that binds us together. So around here in this community, loving God with all our minds, we do have a few things that are corporate anchor points, things that this community values. You know, what I love, when we sat down years ago to, to try to develop that mission statement, we still haven't got one. We've got a couple of image statements. And we couldn't get it down in a nice dot points. We said, it sort of looks like this. And our stuff is more like guiding lights than neat dot points. We haven't got a statement up, you know, we believe. Have you noticed by the by? How many Protestant churches, their first statement of what they believe is about the Bible? What's wrong with that? It's completely messed up. Why is it completely messed up? It's supposed to be that God. <laughs> right. So at first, We believe the Bible. No, we believe in God. This amazing person who is everywhere, filling everything, touching everyone. Yes. And by the way, the Bible is really cool if you want to get to know it. But God is awesome. Right? So we, we just haven't got that. But let me just throw out a few because they'll be useful. Put it in the notices the other week. We're Trinitarian, practically. push us hard enough. We're just Jesus people. We have a passionate belief in grace. and We will do whatever it takes not to put stumbling blocks in the way of people that are looking for God, looking for life, looking for ways for. So around here, that means all questions are permitted. Right? all questions not ones about Leviticus and Moses though <laughs> question of the morning I'm going to add someone so bad sitting in the front row do you think Leviticus was written because Moses just got really grumpy with them and got back at them great question <laughs> not permitted <laughs> all experiments in ministry are permitted we're not going to be afraid of people who are different to us We're going to love people who think differently to us, encourage them and love them. We're going to move forward. The uh, boss of the Jesuit order in the Catholic Church was asked once, because that's a really thinking order. They do a lot of very hard study. He was asked, why are so many of your priests in heresy trials all the time? He just folded his arms and said, where else would they be? They're pushing the edge. They're getting, and the Jesuit Order, at its best, believe me, is one of the finest Christian missionary organisations on the earth. And they're pushing... Why are they pushing the edge? Because people need to know the Lord. And so they are... They're planting universities. These guys aren't stupid. But they're out there. They're thinking. They're working on it. They're trying to work out how do we communicate. So, look, that's a lot of stuff thrown out probably really, really quickly. loving God with all our mind. Now, here's the other thing. I don't want you all to go out and buy five theological books and become philosophers. Too hard. And for most of us, we're not wired for that. We're not smart enough for a start. But can we pray that the church will rise up people who really do think? Can we get behind our theological students that we've got in this place now and encourage them to get out there and learn what the deep truth of the faith is, what the non-negotiables are, and they're not the tub-thumping stuff you hear in pulpits. It's different to that. Can we encourage people to really connect to that? And when people come among us with that, let's not disrespect them. Let's listen. Let's learn. Let's love God with all our mind. Let's allow people who are really different to us to challenge things we have held sacred. Because that's loving God with all their mind. Out of everything in this series, this one may be the most deep-down important. The church is just not at the table. We're not at the main game. We're not thinking anymore, corporately. And we've just got to say, we love you too much to let you go. And the folks around you, you know, sometimes you feel, I mean, I do, I feel like an alien in a strange place just trying to be a Christian in this crazy world. And the Bible said you'll get that, so be ready for it. But equally, I want to be leavened in that moment. I want to try to influence it somehow. I want Jesus to be better known. I want i want the opiate use that people are using simply to bliss out from the sheer meaninglessness of everything. I want that to reduce. And the key for me in that is knowing Jesus. Here endeth the philosophical lecture of all times. We'll come back next week and sound more like a suburban church. All right, let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we give you ourselves. Father, we've laid our offerings before you. Lord, now we want to lay our minds. Lord, so much that we think is essential to being a Christian, other people don't. And they too have the Spirit of God. And Lord, there are things that we all agree on. It's just the essence of Christianity. But Father, sometimes it's the stuff we talk least about and the stuff we communicate most poorly. So Lord... I don't know just help us to make sense to people lord come in power because lord all the words the kingdom of god doesn't consist in words but in power so lord please come and help us to be in that happy place where people around us are just asking what was that and we can explain it to them rather than having to try to start from some propositions and explain things god Help us to love you. Love the world in which we find ourselves and love ourselves enough to take ourselves seriously and give ourselves permission to get out there and have a look around. Thank you for listening to another episode. And please, don't forget to sign up to thebarackcenter.com or thefringechurch.com and help support us so we can reach many more. Thank you again for joining us today.